Welcome to the SF Weekly Podcast. I'm Nick Veronin, your editor in exile, and I am joined once again by Kevin. I don't got a nickname for you today, Kevin. I guess it would be, fuck it, I'm doing it live. Hume. How you doing today, Kevin? Uh, doing all right, man. It's Friday. It's kind of nice out after it was kind of cold and wet all week, so not too bad. Yeah. I don't have a script, which is why I said, uh, which is why I quoted um, uh, Mr. William O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> there, <laughs> classic, classic leaked footage of Bill from I don't even know what that he was show on Inside was. Edition at the Inside time. Edition. Yeah, was that a, what? What cable was that? What network was that on? Uh, it was one of those like. Um one of those like mass produced kind of news programs that sort of just aired, you know, like in no time, you know, like no person's time in the afternoon, sort of mm, like hard yeah. copy and things like that. I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> hard copy. Nobody knows. There were those sort of, you know, pseudo journalistic things, uh, news program things that aired in the, in the nineties. Insider edition. Inside edition. Inside edition, but was it Fox or was it a nut? Was it CNN? Do you know? No, I don't know. I think it was uh, like just sort of like you know, uh, I don't even know. Google it, Google it. <laughs> I get, I, I'm my computer's far away Inside from me. Edition. All right, so it's it's a syndicated, so that's what I was looking for. It's one of those syndicated programs, and it was produced by CBS, um, mm. and it's still going apparently uh yeah. so uh yeah so it's just one of those like syndicated ones that can kind of just pop up on sort of any random channel yeah yeah and so the clip just in case you haven't seen it you should look look it up bill o'reilly inside edition i guess and i think he has a limited amount of time in between like the commercial break and he's trying to maybe record a couple what you might call bumpers or something where yeah. like where you know like it's like uh you know um man eats dog more at 11 that kind of thing <laughs> like he's trying to like record those um but like he keeps um flubbing it and uh you know blaming the teleprompter guy or whatever i mean who knows whose fault it was but he, he loses his temper he says fuck it i'm gonna do it live and um and then that that leaked some odd years ago and you can find it on the youtubes it's pretty legendary now <laughs> legendary um so yeah uh i had a funny thing happen to me the other day oh, yeah. um i was inspired by uh peter astrid kane's cover story on uh going california sober and all the things that i've learned over the past year working with our great cannabis writers like zach ruskin and veronica Irwin and joe kakura um, you know, about how far the legal cannabis industry has, has come. And so I ordered myself on ease, mm -hmm. ease. You can sponsor this podcast if you want, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, a couple of, um, tins of Camino gummies, uh, or make Kiva, Kiva Camino, Kiva is the bigger brand. Camino is like the sub, okay. whatever. I don't know if you've seen these, um, they got a really cool logo, Hey, Kiva, you can sponsor this podcast if you want. <laughs> um, uh, but so I had this, I had um, one that's like really, I know is about my speed. It's like two milligrams of THC, 
six milligrams of CBD. I wanted even a lower one, which is like one to nine, mm. but I couldn't find it through ease. They were sold out or something. But then I got two others. And one of them was this, uh, sleep, uh, formula. It has CBN. Are you familiar with this? No, no, not just, not just CBD anymore. There's like CBN and, um, a couple of weeks ago in the Pacific highs column written usually by, um, uh, Zach Ruskin, he interviewed burner, the rap and cannabis impresario. And he was raving about CBN and, and how it's really good for sleep. Hmm. So come home long day. I'm ready to crash. I I'm like in bed and I take this thing mm-hmm. five milligrams of THC. Uh, I don't, however, I don't know what one milligram CBN <clears throat> go to sleep. And you know how sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night and your mind's racing and you're like, Oh, it's like, you know, the, the Sunday scaries, the middle of the night scaries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I had that and then it like really wasn't going away <laughs> <laughs> and my mind was really racing. And all of a sudden I was like, Oh shit. I'm fucking high. <laughs> I'm so stoned right now. <laughs> and uh, it took me a while, barely got back to sleep. And then I finally just got up because I was like, I can't sleep. And uh, it took a long time to wear off, man. Oh, man. Middle of the day before I was like, and then it never really fully wears off. You know, it's like you're kind of just burnt toast for the rest of the day. Yeah. So. I don't know what the lesson is there. I mean, I think I have a very low tolerance. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I like I bet your metabolism slows down when you go to sleep too. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Um, yeah, you I don't know anything like this. Uh, not really. Um, I don't really accidental wake and bake. <laughs> Can't say I've had that. Um, I've never really been super into edibles. Like I've done them in the past. Like I remember, uh, I had a medical card back in college and, uh, a buddy of mine went to, uh, not so silent night in 2010, which was at the shark tank. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was like his birthday. So I was like, dude, I'll buy you a ticket. Come on, let's go. Um, and I bought like two edible chocolate bars, one for him, one for me. And we took mm-hmm. like half of it before the show and we were like i don't really think we feel anything so then we took the rest of it which is always what happens and i think like midway through uh i think the second band which was broken bells uh we both like looked at each other with the sleepy eyes (laughs) we had a good time but yeah dude like edibles always just get so on top of me and i'm not good at gauging you know whether i uh yeah. Whether I'm high enough or whatnot. My girlfriend ordered some recently when I when I did a little bit of a restock on Ease. And uh, I haven't tried them yet. They think they were like lemon drop candies. And uh, I'm kind of tempted to try them. But uh, I've been sticking with the uh, CBD bud that I ordered, which is pretty decent. Yeah. Well, be careful. Don't don't be like me. Um, yeah. Reminds me of a time... When um, when the famous line uh, from this this trip that me and a couple of friends went on, I think that acid's bunk, man. 
Let's <laughs> take another quarter hit. Oh. Wasn't bunk, Kevin. Yeah. I thought that I was cooking this fish. I thought that I was like able to see it changing color. Oh. Like changing from like pink to to like the color that salmon is when it's cooked. But um uh I actually wasn't cooking it at all. It wasn't like even <laughs> on top of the coals. <laughs> Oh. And that's when I said, I give up. I can't. I'm not in control. Oh. So we, we eventually like cooked everything, but we didn't really feel like eating. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> good times. Good times. Um, so coming up on the podcast, we have Mike Huguenor. He is the engineer of this podcast and a contributor to SF Weekly. He is going to tell us all about his cover story, A Year of Live-Streamed Music. It's on stands now. You can read it. Um, and there's an older version on our website that you can find under the music tab. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back to find out how musicians, venues, and the whole music industry locally and nationally has been faring over the course of the last year uh, of the pandemic. We'll be right back. back with Mike Huguenor, contributing writer for SF Weekly and this podcast's audio engineer. Um, Mike wrote this week's cover story, A Year of Live Streamed Music. You can pick that up on stands now. And um, he's going to talk to us today about how the music industry, both locally and uh, a little bit more broadly, has been faring over the course of the this year of pandemic. We are approaching the one-year mark of San Francisco's stay-at-home order, um, and we're a little bit past the one-year mark of when the virus was officially in in this country and and causing trouble. So, welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thanks for having me, Nick. Yeah. So, what has this year been like for you as a musician? Uh, Mike is it? Mike is a musician, uh, professional musician, touring musician, making money, being a musician, um, and uh, as a music fan. It's been an interesting one for sure. Um, I mean, all of the tours that I had planned were canceled. Um, I have a solo project and I also play in a number of bands. Um, the one that tours the most is the musician Jeff Rosenstock. I play guitar with him and we had a whole lot of touring planned that all got canceled. Um, and even the reschedules have been canceled. Um, so I've like everybody been playing some, uh, live stream shows and been um, just trying to hype things up online and um, been trying to continue to create music. But um, it's really clear that uh, musicians' incomes in particular is, are just absolutely at rock bottom right now. Um, it seems like, uh, you know, I, I think when most people talk about music and the money that musicians make, they tend to focus on royalties. But I think that that can be a little misleading. And, and the reality is most musicians make their income through touring, through playing live and selling merch to people. And um, for a full year and not having that, it's been a, a really interesting <laughs> adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. 
So um, you did uh, you did a pretty high high profile uh, live stream or live performance, right? That's right. The Jeff Rosenstock band actually played on um, the Seth Meyers show. Uh, that was probably the biggest thing I've ever done, <laughs> most likely as a musician. And it was during the year uh, during during the era of COVID. So what? Tell us about what you did there. Um, well, I guess originally we were going to be live, but because of this all happening, it got um, changed into this like uh, musicians performing from wherever, basically. So we went to the studio where we recorded our record, which is uh, Atomic Gardens over in oh, excuse me, Atomic Garden over in Oakland, um, and hired a film crew and uh, filmed themselves uh, socially distanced performing um, a song uh, from the record and. Uh, it was a really interesting experience. We then um, also filmed about five more songs and then just put out like a uh, kind of a live set basically afterwards um, out of the material. And um, I mean, that really helped get me through the year, honestly, having having that out there and having um, something where people could see it. And we sold like, you know, quote unquote tour shirts for the one show that we played that year, basically. <laughs> um, yeah. I think selling shirts from that um, kept me paying rent, you know, um, <laughs> frankly how how are you holding up as a, as a music fan you know it's been interesting i feel like the live streams have been really um uh they've been there for people and i've seen some really good ones i watched the hold steady recently perform a live stream for their new record that was great um i really liked uh inside lands i, I enjoyed watching it uh and then like the verses events have been awesome to see I, i'm sure a lot of people mm-hmm. watched the e42 short one uh which yeah, was just that one was great just a joy, a total joy to see. It was, it was great. Um, and then uh, down here, I, I saw the uh, San Jose DJ Cutso spin recently. And, you know, I think a lot of people are really um, adjusting to this in creative ways. But again, it's just that there's next to no money in live streaming. And that's really kind of the, the hard part. Yeah. So let's talk about, um, you're touching upon one way right now. Uh, the story opens with, with you, uh, um, setting the scene of inside lands, which was this year's outside lands, the live streamed outside lands. Um, and you also talk about some other ways that, um, local, um, you know, outside lands is about the biggest thing that happens in San Francisco. Um, but you know, you also talk about, um, the chapel and, um, the, uh, DNA Lounge. Why don't you walk us through some of the innovative ways musicians locally and these venues have been um, dealing with these these shelter in place orders and these social distancing orders and everything? Yeah. So there's there's really a couple things going on, and like one of the main things is is really just uh, keeping people separated. And so the few shows that have happened live have like for example at the chapel um they ended up um building out they they had this outdoor space that had previously been sort of uh sitting dormant that they had plans for and uh when this all happened it, it kind of uh put them into rapid fire um uh you know action to um to get yeah. that get that built into an outdoor space and um you know they were they've been able to hold a few shows out there so far and and uh, actually they held two before San Francisco went into stricter lockdown measures and then just recently um i believe about a week ago they started um holding shows again so they've been able to get a few live music events happening in the city in the mission where um it's outdoors and it sounds like a lot of people have been able to uh, witness it just from the street too so nice to be able to bring the sound of music back to um uh the mission and then um the dna lounge you know they 
were in a really interesting position where they were owned by uh, one of the founders of Netscape and really since about the turn of the millennium have been preparing themselves to for something like this where they've been live streaming almost everything they do and and they just really uh, transitioned into all live streaming um they have a really a pretty amazing setup there where i guess back in the 2000s they had like um kiosks set up so people could like get on the internet and <laughs> and like mm-hmm. chat about being there live at the time very uh hackers kind of <laughs> Yeah, it kind of reminds me of that venue, um, iMusicCast. That's right. And, uh, you know, I wasn't able to speak to anyone for that for this piece, but that was one that I was thinking about. Another place that was really kind of ahead of the game and trying to make live streaming a part of uh, the, the live music experience, essentially, making it accessible to people who can't physically be there. Okay, so there's live streaming, there's outdoor events. Um, what are some of the roadblocks? Um that people are running into here. I mean, I think uh, financially it's a roadblock and then you get into um, something that we call uh, the issue of latency. Can you kind of talk about some of those um, roadblocks and, and, and issues? Yeah. I mean, obviously there's the finances. Like when we're talking about the outdoor space at, at um, the chapel, um, normally the chapel can hold 800 people, but when they hold a show there, they can hold 30. So it's, um, it's really not something that's, making money it's it's just a an effort to kind of keep music happening so really the reality going in the background of all of this is that people are just losing money and, and trying to find a way to survive long enough to be able to to have shows again so one thing the city did recently was they created this music and entertainment venue recovery fund which is a great uh, program um but uh, unfortunately a few places are are kind of left out from it you know what they wanted to do is make sure that people met criteria in order to be able to get the funding. And one of them is that they have to um, have been around for at least 15 years, which a place like the chapel hasn't been. And um, the other is that it has to be important to a designated cultural district in the city. And I think that these were really um, well-intentioned rules and um, kind of uh, criteria and i think that they do help a lot of great venues and the cultural districts that are specified are are important cultural districts for sure but um unfortunately it did leave out the chapel and i'm sure many others um so that that has definitely been an issue 15 years is a is a big hurdle for you know that's a long time to have been around yeah yeah you know that's just kind of um you had to have already been here it's almost a grandfathering in in a way Mm -hmm. so sort of an unintended consequence there yes definitely and one um really technical issue that has been long plaguing the uh, possibility of live music is is this issue of latency which is essentially the delay between when a sound is made and when it's heard by the listener um and that happens in a live setting where if you're far enough away from someone who's making the sound, it, it comes at you noticeably delayed. Um, but when you're making music over the internet, that's really compounded by a lot of factors. Um, all of it has to be transferred into data and then it has to be um, converted back in a situation like Zoom. It has to be uh, converted into both video and audio. And historically, that's just always led to lag and delay time um so musicians were never able to play simultaneously together in two different places 
recently there's been some innovation out of the Ragazzi Boys Chorus, which is this all-male chorus on the peninsula, um, where one of the fathers of the boys in the chorus um, had been trying to solve this issue. You know, they'd been facing this problem of trying to practice online. There, I think there's 250 uh, kids in the in the group, and there was just no way they could actually sing together. They were constantly facing this issue of latency. And I spoke to the director and he was saying that uh, what they had to do is just mute themselves. And so nobody was actually singing together. They would just be watching the director count the time and singing by themselves and hoping that they were all hitting the right notes together. Um, but one of the fathers kind of um, set out to try and solve this problem. And he ended up researching this uh software called jack trip that had been invented to try and reduce latency and um ended up kind of packaging it into this plug and play little box that uh goes directly into the internet you don't even plug it into your computer and uh, it essentially eliminates latency altogether and so they were able to get the entire boys course to sing together this december they were able to do a live streamed performance where everybody was at home and I think they had something like 80 kids singing simultaneously, all completely isolated, which up until now is kind of unheard of. Um, so that's a really amazing step forward and, and really is something that um, means that in the future, um, it's much more likely that something like this will be less disruptive um, to, to a musician's um, lifestyle. Cool. So I think one one very clear takeaway of your story is that, you know, um, there really is no substitute for the real thing. And until we um, start getting out there and allowing bands to tour and allowing fans to go to shows and, and people feeling comfortable doing that, um, m the music industry is going to continue to suffer and musicians are going to continue to suffer and venue owners and, and their staffs are going to continue to, you know, be casualties. Um, but what do you think about what this year has taught us about the possibilities of, of streaming. I mean, um, is anyone going to do this willingly or is it going to be a slightly better, you know, substitute? If you, if you, if you can't go to the show, are you going to, you know, as before, maybe just be like, Oh, I can't go to the show. Uh, maybe now you're going to be like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to live stream that show. You know, that's a really good question. And honestly, I don't know the answer to that. I think, it could go a number of ways. I think after this year, people could be so sick of being on their couch and watching music on the internet that they'll never want to do it again, you know? Um, or it could just mm -hmm. become a regular part of the fabric of live music that this is, you know, I think a lot of people are building in the infrastructure, essentially. Um, I think uh, this has made people realize that this is a, a part of the total, even if it's not necessarily a part that has been able to be fully monetized yet in a way that uh, works for musicians. Um, it's it, it does seem to be a piece, and and perhaps it's going to be a growing piece over time. Okay, well, again, uh, Mike's uh, Mike's story uh, cover story this week is a year of live streamed music. Uh, look for that on newsstands. Um, there's an older version of his story um, online that you can find as well. Um, thanks for joining us uh, this week, Mike. Thanks for having me, Nick.
Thanks so much for tuning into this week's edition of the SF Weekly Podcast. The episode was produced by me, Nick Veronin. My inimitable co-host is Kevin Hume. Mike Huguenor is our audio engineer. For more hot takes, deep dives, and alternative views on San Francisco news, subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week. We'll be right back.